0: With a clothing rental membership from Armour, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days then, when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-use styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
0: Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves, to overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all our listeners out there. I'm visiting my family in Utah and having a very white and cold Christmas already. I apologize for the less than perfect audio here as I'm just recording on my laptop. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and giving me feedback. I especially love to see what you are doing while listening, whether it's working, working out, or cleaning like my friend Adriana Jousy. Show me what you're up to while blaring this podcast by tagging me with the hashtag aboutprogresspodcast. We have already had 6,000 downloads, and we're getting more each week. Share this podcast with a friend or family member this weekend who could use these discussions in their lives. And if you are new here, then welcome. There are six and a half episodes before this one if you'd like to hear more, And you can do so by clicking on the link in the show notes to my blog, which is www.aboutprogress.com and click on the podcast tab at the top. You can also see more of me and my crazy life there, as well as on my Instagram, which is also at aboutprogress. I love hearing from you, your insights from the podcast and blog posts, how these interviews have inspired you, as well as your nominations of people who you think should be on the show. Please keep those coming you can find my contact information on my blog as well. If you like this episode and want to continue to hear more weekly, please subscribe. It really means a lot to me. Today's interviewee took a lot of convincing. Lisa Shader is an amazing, knowledgeable, compassionate, real, and funny woman, but she didn't think she fit on this show because she doesn't necessarily have a large social media presence or a business she's the head of. Well, Lisa, you, and men and women like you, are exactly who I want on this show. Lisa has a lot to offer you, our listeners. She was a completely type A perfectionist for most of her life, but was still mostly happy and successful. Lisa graduated from one of the top accounting programs in the country and then worked for a top accounting firm. But after the birth of her first son, Lisa fell into extreme postpartum anxiety she quickly became the opposite of her former self and was non-functioning. Lisa had to move states to recover with her family. Five years and a lot of work later, Lisa has learned how to battle those demons and shares with you how her life looks differently now. And, spoiler alert, it involves a lot of letting go, but a lot more happiness. On to our interview. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for doing this.
1: You are so welcome, Monica. I'm honored and you know a little confused I told people I was doing this podcast and I named some of the other people you had and they're like now why are you doing it again
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll just tell you and our (laughs) listeners that this is exactly who I want on here everybody like this so we're gonna have a whole range of people and you are just as important so I, I want you to introduce yourself to the people who are listening tell us some more about yourself
1: okay so my name is Lisa Shader I live in the California Bay area um, I'm married with two almost three kids I'm like almost forty one weeks pregnant I am overdue. so you. he could be born before the end of this interview which, that would be great um, <laughs> on live so air. I, I know right <laughs> I'll maybe I'll start tightening contractions that would be fabulous um so I started a career as um, a CPA a certified public accountant but um, currently, I'm focused on being a stay-at-home mom, um, but I still am, like, a little obsessed with personal finance and budgeting. I started mm-hmm. a little blog a while ago that um, is temporarily or <laughs> permanently mm-hmm. abandoned, but me, had um, one of my colleagues, and I started that when we only had one kid for fun. So I still love personal finance, but um mostly I'm a mom, and... Other things that I like to do for fun. I'm obsessed with learning and like I listen to podcasts all the time, like this one. Um, and just reading and documentaries and what else about me? I love the outdoors. I go hiking all the time, even when I'm nine months pregnant and I get a lot of looks. Good for you. (laughs) Yep. And biking and camping and that is me.
0: That's so great. So tell us how old your boys are right now.
1: So I have a five-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy, and then this guy, the whenever he shows boy. up. <laughs> I, I'm yeah.
0: so impressed you're doing this. I, I We were hoping it would be a good distraction for you um, while you're That's waiting for perfect him to come. Distraction. So <laughs> I loved your blog, and I hope you can get some time to start that up again. It was really helpful to me. I was one of those stalker readers that never left comments, and I regret not doing that. <laughs> but I would like to talk to you more about your accounting career. I want to know what it was like getting into the accounting program at BYU and the accounting field. Um, if people don't know this, the accounting field at BYU is really competitive. Um, so tell us a little bit more about getting into accounting.
1: Um, so my dad is an accountant, and always tried to talk me into doing it because he thought it would be you know so great, so of course, I did not want to do it like yeah. all teenagers like do not like to listen to their parents so um but I did like business, and I was taking prereqs for that, and then um sort of fell into accounting oh, it was when um for one of my classes in the business school, we had to interview female mentors to get an idea of what their careers were like. So I interviewed one woman who was in marketing and one was who was in accounting. And, um, just for me looking at their lifestyles and knowing that my number one goal was to be like around as a mom. Um, anyway, so the, the woman who was doing accounting, she was working from her home and just have like a lot of control over mm. how many clients she had. And so um, just looking at that lifestyle is how I ended up switching to accounting. And I did like the classes and I, um, it was it was kind of nerdy, but <laughs> I was like a super fan of all the, they had the, um, this accounting course that everyone takes and, these video courses, and the guy who did it is, like, a BYU celebrity. And yes,
0: I know him <laughs> I was like well, a for super my husband. Fan.
1: Yeah, Norm Nemro. So I, was like, I just loved it. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, it was it was uh, very competitive. I was, like, so nervous when I started the program. I, like, could not focus for, like, the first two weeks, but then, um, you know, got used to it, and it was good because it challenged me, but I found that I could Yeah, live up to the challenge. So it was really fun.
0: So while you were studying, was that already a super stressful time or was it something you were able to catch on fairly quickly?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I I pretty much focused a lot on that. I was really lucky in that I had already started dating who would become my husband before I started the program, Mm -hmm. which was convenient because, I'm not sure if I could have kept up the social life I had before. But by the end of my program I was I was married. I didn't have any kids, but we were, you know, paying for two masters programs and so I had like two jobs. My husband had like three jobs. And so wow. but you know, you just kind of it's like any it's like juggling. You just the more you do it, the more you got used to it. And so
0: So you did the masters program too? Mhm. And then after that, how was it going into the actual accounting field?
1: Um, Yeah, so luckily BYU is ranked like number one or two pretty consistently. So finding a job is pretty much as easy as being able to have a um, coherent conversation (laughs) with the interviewers. Because they know to get in the program, you have to be know of a certain caliber academically you know otherwise you probably wouldn't have made it that far mm-hmm. so I found the interviews were actually pretty low pressure were kind of just like a personality check
2: yeah.
1: if anything else so I was able to get a job in the barrier Area with um, one of the big four pretty easily um, and it was awesome I really liked um, the group that I worked in and uh, they were actually a pretty balanced group with, like, work-life balance, um, so it was, it was a good experience.
0: So was that, um, the big fours are very intense and the hours can be very long. Um, how was that
1: for you? Yeah, so I did have, I was a tax accountant, so there were the busy seasons, but, um, I basically only ever worked some Saturdays for a portion of the year. And mm-hmm. I um I think I would have gone to a smaller firm yeah. if I hadn't found this little group within mm-hmm. the big four that had a very different much more balanced. You know, they they worked hard and they got their work done, but it was a little more independent. It was kind of like being at a small firm within but with the big firm resources.
0: So that's pretty I mean, that's pretty darn successful for how how old were you yeah. when you actually started in your career?
1: Uh, let's see. I would have been twenty-two. Uh, yeah, is that right? Twenty-two, 22 is young.
0: Yeah. So you were twenty-two years old and working at one of the top accounting firms in the whole country, and doing well. So I'm. I mean, I'm just going to call you out for it because I think you're being a little <laughs> bit too humble. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to know more about the small steps that got you to that successful point in your life, the little to big things that you did to achieve those goals?
1: Um, so I think I think the small steps is I just learned, like, when it was time to buckle down, you know, just, I mean, like, like most people do, like just getting organized and just basic project management of figuring out, you know, once a project comes up, laying it out and figuring out what needs to do get done when and you know setting those smaller deadlines um and i think that's i mean that's the same stuff i do even now i got really into have you ever heard of the getting things done gtd program it's no it's a book by david allen david allen wrote this book called getting things done and then it has this little right. i don't know falling I guess you could say, um, and then if you, have you ever listened to power of mom? Yes. They have, um, April from power of Moms developed this program called mind organization for moms. And that's something that I, I didn't, um, buy the full program, but when you subscribe to their website, they give you some materials to learn about it. And I just thought that was so fascinating. This whole idea of, mm. um, project management like how to keep on top of stuff without having to work so hard you know you kind of like get the systems in place so that you can pursue these big projects without getting overwhelmed and kind of breaking it down and knowing what you need to work on each day without overthinking it and then yeah and then I also set a lot of goals so one of the things I do is I set goals every year and So I do different categories. So I do a, like a mind or, you know, something to do with my mind or learning Mm -hmm. goal, Um, something physical, something spiritual, a service goal, and then one nagging task every year. That's from, if you ever read the happiness project, she always calls it the one. Every year there's like one big, you know, like whether it's like something like organizing your recipe book or something that (laughs) you just like mean to get around to when but you never do <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway so yeah goals project management just normal stuff that started kind of in the professional life but I found it actually really carried over to being a stay-at-home mom so you said making
0: systems for yourself too about being able to stay on top of things goals and are those goals you make once a year or is that translating to once a month as well yeah
1: yeah, so usually they, I set them um, as yearly goals, and then there's stuff that's broken down naturally into, like, stuff I'm going to do on, like, a weekly basis or, like, one year it was, like, to do a 5K with a certain time. And so the goals, I, like, broke it down into um, what times I wanted by certain points in the year or something.
0: What's the actual process for making these goals because I want to like put myself in your head so I can learn how to do this from you how do you do this um
1: so I actually so the first year I kind of just sat down and picked some goals and then from that time on I was always like thinking ahead to what I wanted to do the following year like when there was something that I was like oh man I really want to get into that but you know I don't have time to do pursue everything all the time and so I started a folder for like future goals that I wanted to do. So in future years, by the time the next year would roll around, I already had this list of stuff that I wanted to work on. And then this is, this is like a little crazy, but I actually go away for like a night um, where like my husband takes the kids and I get my, like, my, I, I don't know what I call it, my little like retreat or whatever. Cause my husband traveled a lot for work and he had all these merry And so I'd like yeah. literally go and like stay in a hotel and like just work on these goals. Like, you know, like any, like, I guess I just kind of took myself seriously. Like anyone, your company does yearly planning. Like why shouldn't I take time to do my, mm. you know, yearly kind of personal planning? The point is just to have like a period of uninterrupted time where I can like mm. focus and really kind of, think through the things, you know, just take some time, which is actually an idea I got from, are you familiar with the Ayers? Rita, yes. Richard and Linda. they yes, are the Linda. Iyer was the one who said she took like did one night every year to do this sort of like personal planning stuff. Otherwise I don't think I ever would have had the guts to, you know, think I was worth spending a night on just to work yeah. on personal goals. You know,
0: I think that is so brilliant. So I'm thinking your dad must be thrilled with your accounting career choice. And I want to know more about how that looked as little Lisa, who was growing up. And want, I want to know what you were like as a child and as a teen.
1: Um so, uh, let's see, what was I like? um. so I was the youngest of six kids, which I totally believe in the whole birth order thing affecting you so being the youngest I think I just picked up on a lot of things around me because everyone around me was older so I think as a kid I probably came off as pretty precocious I remember teachers I don't know would look at me like some of the things I would know like like, how do you how do you how do you learn this already I'm like I don't know (laughs) you know you get and so I always did well in school in terms of like tests and graded and gotten into the little, you know, gifted and talented programs and whatever, which I think probably became sort of part of my identity Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Anyway, that was me. I thought I was really smart, but then as a kid and then as a young teen, oh my goodness. So I, I'm like Monica, I'm tall. I'm really tall. I'm almost six feet tall. So in junior high, you can imagine how well that went over. (laughs) Super tall. Mm -hmm so awkward, tall, but not athletic at all. So self-conscious. I'd like terrible teeth and like acne. So not shocking, like low self-esteem. Cause I just think, I think junior high is just like the pit of yeah. life. Maybe that was just my experience, but luckily I had really wonderful, like positive friends. So I actually survived adolescence with relatively little damage, but um, eventually, because I was so tall, I got, you know, fell into like sports because in volleyball, they're like, well, you can coach anything but height. So they took me and so I started playing volleyball and lacrosse, which did a lot to boost my confidence. And then I just got so, because I was so involved in so many things, I like met a lot of people and had a lot of friends. And so it led to things like you know, student council and like homecoming court and all this stuff that was just so far from my reality of junior high and all these things, you know, at the time I thought they were, I don't know, important or something and obviously were not, but it was like the first time because it was such a contrast from where I was a few years before. It, it kind of just made me realize that not to limit myself
2: hmm. to
1: my own expectations of who I was that really it was up to me what kind of person I wanted to become by like what I chose to devote my time to so I was kind of that you know had my little metamorphosis. So
0: what about being achievement oriented were you it seems like you were pretty achievement oriented for being um you wanted to be strong in academics but also sports and leadership.
1: Right yeah I think I was Although it's weird because I think about it, I was like, man, I am so glad I had the parents that I did because they, they didn't push me at all. It was all, you know, self-motivated. It would be, I can't imagine how crazy I would have been if I had Mm -hmm. parents who, you know, like were pushing me on top of that. It was all me. They were just, you know, kind of along for the ride Mm -hmm. and, You know, I mean, they encouraged me and they came, they supported me like crazy, but they never made me feel like that was something that I had to be or anything like that. I think it was just kind of, I don't know, self-driven, I guess, for I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a good thing, but for some reason, I just responded a lot to, yeah, that external, like, achievement and... I don't know, uh, meeting expectations, I think. Oh, I can certainly relate to that. That's right? one well, of those like things. Kid, like, in, like when I remember in first grade, I got in trouble once because some girl talked to me and I and I talked back, and I was the one that like got in trouble. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I just like bawled my eyes out. I like got in trouble twice in elementary school, <laughs> and I remember both times because I was like scarred. I just did not, you know, I just was very much like wanted to stay in line like a rule follower I guess yeah
0: we are we have the same kind of kernel (laughs) inside of us that I think is driven us I I think I responded really similarly to getting in trouble oh I want to talk more about that you talked about external motivation I often ask people what who or what encouraged you and how you viewed yourself and your drive to constantly improve your life And you already brought up there were some external drives there. So talk more about that.
1: Right. Um, I I don't know. I've been thinking about this lately because I feel like I've changed a lot, even Mm -hmm. just over the last, I don't know, couple years even maybe, because I don't think that I started to frame this drive to constantly improve In a truly healthy way until recently and honestly it was it was when you started your blog and your your subtitle um of like progress not perfection just like I was like it just like set me on fire I was like that is like exactly you know what I want my life to be about about the progress not perfection I was like Ready to ask you, I have a personal blog that I write on just for me, and I was like wanting to like cool. make that my subtitle' cause I identify with it so much because um because I do like I think that it's so good I think that that's you know why we're here to become and to improve, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that we get ourselves in trouble when we're you know thinking we we have to meet these external you know achievements or you know, recognition or you know, all those mm. all those things that really are kind of I mean, they're they're meaningful to us when it's that we've improved, but the achievements themselves don't don't mean that much. You know what I mean? From a um from that perspective. It's just the fact that we've progressed. Like that's the meaningful part. Mm. And so so I just kind of realized and like that's that's what I want to be about about progressing uh for the sake of progress, not to you know like to um, correct some like deep rooted insecurities that I've had since <laughs> junior high since mm-hmm. you know my my awkward uh preteen self um but yeah, but I really love I love improving I'm like I just think it's a blast. It's fun. I like, um, I think that it's fun to discover what gifts we have and what we're capable of and, um, to follow that. And, but I, it definitely, uh, had, I have to sit there and kind of redefine and evaluate why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and make sure it's for the right reasons. Like, um, and sometimes I have to like reevaluate, like, for example, right now, I I decided to, like, take some time off of Facebook yeah. because, which, you know, I, w- I wasn't trying to, like, make some big statement. I think Facebook is great for, like, keeping up with people. But I realized, like, at least for me at that time, I was just putting too much time into trying to keep up with everything around me. And sure. I just wanted to take a break to um, spend it in ways that were more meaningful to me. So sometimes mm. I'll just do things like that where... I realize I've gotten too caught up in everything around me. And so I'll just take some time to kind of recenter. I
0: love what you said about that. Recentering and also taking the time to evaluate where your motivations are. And in contrast, where you're spending your time and how that relates to your ultimate goals. That is a good push for, I think, for all of us. Social media is so hard. It can be wonderful, but it can be a total oh, time sucker in a terrible way. So I, I really admire that you do that. But I have to say when you were active on Facebook, I think what you actually produced on there was very fruitful of an indicative of what you were doing in terms of trying to progress and you were reading articles and sharing things that were really motivating in that way and really educational and helpful I thought so at least you know that your actual co- you know contribution to the social media front was at least helpful for those of us who are following you.
1: You are so sweet yeah we'll see if I can I, I thought about you know I'm like I don't know how I'm going to tell people on this baby's born if I don't <laughs> rejoin Facebook so yeah. I've definitely thought about that but it was good for me to take a break because for me I have such I I don't know addictive personality it literally took me like two months to get out of the habit of like when I'd have a laptop open of opening a tab and navigating to Facebook without yeah. even realizing <laughs> that I was doing it. It like became this like Twitch. And I was, so, I mean, I full on like deactivating my account, not to be dramatic, oh, but fine. because there was no other way for me to stay off of it. Mm. So I, I think that it's important that you're using your social media and that it's not using you and just eating you up because some people, you know, they don't even realize how negatively it's affecting them until, you know, they take a step back or whatever it is.
0: So for me, that, um, that's related to the comparison trap. I think that's also tied to my drive to be motivated externally, but there's also a lot of comparison there for me. So I do that on Instagram. You know, if I find myself constantly looking at someone and just having that that thought in my head that I don't measure up or I should be doing this more or that. Even right. if they're great people, they're not trying to be showy or, you know, there are definitely those out there, but right. Right. you just can unfollow them or on Facebook. If it's a, if it's a close friend, you don't want to unfriend them. You can uh, turn off the notifications. I've done that. Right. You know, that's right. super helpful. I think that's good to listen to that inner voice that's telling right. you, no, you're, you're paying too much attention sure. to this person.
1: Yeah, but it is nice to be connected to people, which I wanted to say, like, about the whole, you know, external achievements and motivations. I think what prompted this, like, me to sort of reevaluate, like, what I was doing and why I was doing it is I became, you know, I love learning, and one of the things I sort of fell into studying, because I love, like, behavioral science and stuff, was – um like just the positive psychology or like the happiness research. I think, hmm. I don't know, I think a lot of people kind of are drawn to that stuff. But I, you know, I watch documentaries and read books and read studies and all this stuff. And um, there's this have you ever seen the documentary Happy? It's on, it's on Amazon Prime yes, one. I'm all about the <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, yes. I love that. And it was, it was so. Just realizing, so they have kind of, I don't know, four things that I took away from it. One is, you know, like things that help you like physically, like exercise. And it is important to take care of yourself that affects, you know, your happiness. The second thing is just appreciating what you have and having gratitude and, um, you know, just accepting your circumstances and not wishing right? Which is where the social media can just Mm -hmm. kill you if you're constantly evaluating your life against someone else's best self that they're posting in their, you know, filtered, beautifully set up pictures. Um, And then the third one is just spending time with the people you love and have a, a community of support, which is I think the good part of social media If you don't, you know, for some reason, don't have a lot of people around you, you can kind of find that virtually. But I think it is better to have people in real life that you can build this community with. And then the last one is just like compassion and service to others. And if you look at that formula, mm-hmm. like nowhere in there is it saying, and make sure that you're really like externally successful, that you mm-hmm. have lots of followers on, on your Instagram and that you're making lots of money. You know, none of that factors in because really, You know, there are things that are meaningful to pursuing our goals, and that's why we do those things, to kind of find that flow and happiness. But really, the happiness comes from, you know, just those basic things.
0: Oh, there's so much wisdom there, Lisa. You are so wise. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: I'm too I, super wise. No, I watch a lot of documentaries. That's what I do. <laughs> well,
0: that's what I love about you. You are always reading books and articles to enrich your life. And you you help others, too. And I just love that you're always thinking about that. That's why I wanted to interview. You're still so progress-minded, but you, you're yeah. seeming to do a better job of balancing the why. I want to know more about were there any times growing up that that drive to succeed became detrimental to you?
1: Um, I think, I think it's hard to say because it's one of those, um, chicken or egg things like which came first. Like was I successful because I was like such a, you know, neurotic perfectionist or Mm -hmm. did I become, did I become, um, neurotic because I just got stuck on you know continuing these achievements or you know what I mean but yeah. um, I never growing at least growing up I never I don't think like totally I don't know I was pretty balanced I think it's probably because I was social and so that kind of forced me to stay in check because I couldn't <laughs> I really just wanted to you know, have fun and didn't get, I don't think, overly. That was, yeah, that was, at least for my growing up, it, it I definitely had a harder time as, like, an older adult, specifically after becoming a mom where things did kind of come crashing down. But at least growing up, it was mostly balanced, I would say.
0: So I want to talk more about that transition then to motherhood. Um, I first want to know, how did you decide to put your career on hold? You already talked about how that was your goal from the beginning, but I want to know what that was actually like for you to do when it came down to it and what motherhood was like for you those beginning years.
1: Yeah. So putting my career on hold was never really a question. Maybe it was because I grew up in Utah where that was, that was the norm, like mm-hmm. being a stay-at-home mom. Like if some if someone was um, working, that was kind of, you know, it usually wasn't until their kids were all in school that thought was um, for my mom. And so I think I never really questioned that and was really um, thrilled at the idea of leaving work behind to become – a full-time stay-at-home mom and just, you know, just longed for that day, really. As much as
2: mm-hmm.
1: I never regretted doing accounting, I was just, like, counting down the days till I decided to get my CPA first, which, you know, have to work a certain amount of time and get these exams and stuff because I wanted to have that um, certification because you can't, mm-hmm. uh, once you achieve that, you you can hang on to those exam scores forever, you know, so mm-hmm. I knew... It was now or never with that. So I did at least try to be thoughtful about it. But once once I had that, I was like, just, you know, wanted to get pregnant. Yeah. as I possibly did so that I could quit accounting and focus on what I felt like was what I really wanted to do. Um, but that's where it also got really interesting because I did, I think, partially maybe because I had it set up in my mind as this like finish line or starting line of when my like true happiness would begin I definitely had it on this pedestal of this is when my life is going to become perfect and meaningful I don't know I don't think I really thought that but you know you have it sort of built up as like this is it this is like what it all comes down to and so um, big surprise that I really just kind I think, set myself up for failure that way, because motherhood is hard in Mm -hmm. every possible way, and it was such a jarring um, transition for me for, I mean, like, obviously, physically, because, you know, I've got hormones and exhaustion and stuff, but also because, um, you know, we would moved to the Bay Area, and I just started work, and so that was pretty much where all of my network was was Mm -hmm. with my work friends. But once I became a stay-at-home mom, you know, I had, I knew people at church, but I didn't, um, socialize with any, any of the people. So basically as soon as I became a stay-at-home mom, I had like, I had my husband's family here and they were awesome, but I didn't have, um, friends, (laughs) you know, to speak of like, People to interact with on a daily basis. So, looking back, it was like such a recipe for disaster because I was completely changing my style in a relatively new area. I didn't have a group. I was, I had like, you know, a lot of like a bad delivery and had, hmm. a, you know, a terrible breastfeeding. Like, breastfeeding was so hard for me. Hmm. Everything just kind of did not go well. So, it was just like this toxic mix of like exhaustion and stress and fear and hormones and I had like a total breakdown like not I mean I I didn't it was even from the time I was in the hospital I didn't sleep and and then it was I mean it kind of went up and down but basically over a few months I just kind of slowly went downhill you know, physically and mentally because I wasn't sleeping or I was so anxious Mm. I couldn't sleep or eat, which (laughs) you can imagine how well that works out for your body in terms of trying to recover, right? This is a disaster. So anyway, and then, you know, and then it's just like the the stress of doing like, what is happening to me? I'm just like this really together person and I felt so not myself, you know, and so... It was a really scary, kind of sad time that luckily, you know, I can talk about it now because I made a full recovery and now I love talking about it because I think it's so important for people to know that that is normal and that it's okay and that things will get better because I think that was the scariest part for me was thinking that was my new reality that I would never, you know, that I could never be myself again, that that was just how my life was and that there was no, you know, no hope. So I am like pretty vocal about, you know, if someone will be like, Oh, I don't know. Like I, didn't, I have, have you ever had problems with anxiety? I'm like, Oh girl, don't, you know, I had like yeah. a nervous breakdown after <laughs> my first kid and I'm not like, cause I think there's so much shame surrounding yeah. those mental struggles, which really just, fuels the fire, and so I'm very open about it because I think that, you know, the more shame that's attached to it, the worse it makes it for people, and so I'm like, no, this is not something to be ashamed of. This is a super normal phenomenon that's a mixture of, like, physical um, elements, like people will notice it happens when they're tired or stressed, and also, you know, this this mental, like, your fears surrounding you know, whatever it is. And it's just totally normal and not something to feel ashamed about.
0: Well, that's another reason why I wanted to interview you. And I'm so glad that you would share that. It's so important. Um, I do want to go more into that a little bit. So was it a categorically like medically diagnosed breakdown
1: Yeah, I like to call it my breakdown no one ever no doctor ever called it that I call it that because that's what it felt like Mm -hmm. it was I would I would say probably medically it would be called postpartum anxiety you know that's really what it was the anxiety was what caused me to not be able to sleep Mm -hmm. or you know I had trouble eating because I felt so anxious like all the time I just Sleeping was like one giant panic attack and eating. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know anything about this because I'd never had problems that I was aware of. Looking back, I probably should have known. But to my knowledge, I didn't have problems with anxiety. So I really haven't done any research. But looking, having read a bunch of books now, it's like I was textbook. Because of the anxiety, I didn't eat or sleep. And if you do not sleep <laughs> for long enough, then you're bound to have a whole you know a whole bunch of other problems which is really which is what I why I would call it a breakdown <laughs> because yeah. you know nothing good comes of not sleeping. So
0: So I wanna talk more about some of those low points. What do you think went into that? You've talked about the exhaustion the not being um, fueled enough, the severe anxiety. I think it was more than just a little anxiety, right? Like it was an extreme oh, yeah. case of postpartum anxiety.
1: Right. Yeah. No, mine was like, I was so like, yeah. Sorry. So you want to hear some low points? Yeah. T-
0: tell us what that, what <laughs> does that look like? Um,
1: uh, more yeah. specifically, so, I guess. For like me, it was like, I was so tense all the time that I, like, be, like, I, this is this a low point of, like, this very vivid memory of, like, the TV was on, and we were going to, like, eat dinner that someone had brought us, which was, like, wonderful. But my arms, I had been, like, so tense, like, you know, um, all day <laughs> that yeah. I literally, like, couldn't use my arms. I had to, like, eat Aww. off my plate like a dog. It's not the saddest, oh, like, yes. visual picture. Like, it's not it's not as sad to me now because I'm like, like I said, it, but that was like the moment that I'm like, oh, man, that was, <laughs> that was a little point. Um, so that's kind of like, that's pretty extreme. I don't think wow. that's normal for people to just be so. And it really, it was like that one time but I was like, oh, man, this is, this, is, this does not seem normal. Um, and then probably my lowest point was I, I mean, because I just got to the point where I, was you know not sleeping and not eating I really was not couldn't barely take care of myself let alone my baby so I ended up um, and my husband was traveling a lot for work and so um, we made the decision for me to go back to like with my family in Utah for a while and just to take that time which like at the time felt so kind of humiliating but also so necessary and I really was first and foremost, a mom and just wanted to be able to take care of my baby. So it wasn't hard in that way because I knew it's what had to happen. But, you know, as someone who'd been who like a relatively, I don't know, I thought like successful person, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't even take care of myself. Like, how how humiliating is this? But um, i was so lucky to have like a wonderful family who just helped, you know, step up a little why I recovered physically and then mm-hmm. um and then it was it was still, you know, not like an instant fix or anything. I think it took um you know, that's when I started like reading about anxiety and kind of what was going on. That was because I am such like a I don't know, a book nerd or academic. Like I really wanted to read like what was going on and so mm-hmm. Um, but it was amazing. Yeah, I wanted to understand it. And, uh, there was one, um, it's called a workbook actually in particular that I read that was like, I think the biggest game changer for me. And, um, it's not like a band-aid, like quick fix solution. It really takes a long time to kind of work through and incorporate. It's just the idea of like accepting and, um, Not letting um, anxiety or fears drive you and not letting, um, you know, so you basically, it's, it sounds simple enough, but you don't, you kind of learn to like, not ignore the anxiety, but kind of just, it's kind of like a mindfulness thing Hmm. where it just kind of like, you notice it, but you don't, you learn not to react to it, if that makes sense. So.
0: And the the resource, a book? is what taught you this, yeah.
1: called The Workbook, you said? Yeah. It's the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, I believe it's called, okay. The Workbook. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the, the analogy they use, is, like, people who struggle with anxiety specifically kind of have this tug of war
2: hmm.
1: with it, and their thing is, like, just drop the rope, because the more that you try not to feel anxious, like, the more panicky it is when it comes up anyway, despite yeah. all your best efforts, you know, and so that's kind of the method that I ascribe to, like, in addition to, you know, other stuff that was helpful, like, um, and, but anyway, so I would consider myself, like, completely, I don't know if you'd say anxiety-free, because I think... <laughs> I think that's, like, a normal part of life, you know, when your yeah. kid, like, runs into this, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I never have, like, fearful moments, but I don't consider... It's, like, kind of a miracle when you think about, like, mm-hmm. how really severe it was. I don't know personally of anyone who, like, <laughs> I don't know, went downhill so so low and, like, so quickly as I did to the point and to where I am now where I don't really... You know, I don't think I really struggle with it at all, but it's been five years, you know, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been a process, but five it's so amazing. And work. that's why I like to, right, mm-hmm. right. I don't know, but I think it's good for people to hear that. I think people think of when, as soon as they start struggling with something, they think of themselves as broken and yeah. how that's how it's going to be. And for some people it is a lifelong struggle, but the, yeah. the whole idea of this. The acceptance commitment therapy is they have you write down what it is that you care about like what your values are like what you want to live for like it's not just about those and they just say like so do that like do do what you want to do and don't let any of your worries or anxieties or fears hold you back and um which sounds really simple and in a way it is but but I just love the idea, and that's kind of, so in a way, it, I, it was an amazing, transforming experience, because now, you know, fear doesn't really hold me back, and in some ways, I run towards it, because mm-hmm. I also ascribe to the exposure therapy of, like, so if I'm afraid of something, <laughs> to me, that just means, it's like, okay, cool, one more fear to get over, I can do this, because yeah. I've kind of been there, done that.
0: What role did you th- do you think perfectionism played in that really low point of just not being you at all and needing some major help?
1: Right. I think it's definitely that shame aspect. Like mm-hmm. I think I think perfectionism and shame are very closely related because <laughs> if you saw this is so random, but we just saw Dr. Strange. If you saw that, they have this part of the movie where he's like this super, you know, top of his field neurosurgeon. And they were saying that it wasn't his it wasn't his drive to success so much as his fear of failure that Mm -hmm. drove him. You know, people thought of him as this super confident person, but deep down, he he was just afraid of failing, you know, because of the whole shame thing. So I think that's why it's very common for people who are perfectionists to have problems with depression, anxiety, because it's this shame that holds them on of being, of being found as less than, you know, what, what they want to be or think that they should be. And, you know, that fuels the, those feelings of, panic and sadness and so it was totally related so um you know it was I'm so grateful that I went through that experience that it kind of like I didn't it wasn't until I became kind of de- debilitated by it mm-hmm. that I had to really address it because up until then it had kind of been fueling my success you know until it completely broke down you know mm-hmm. but um I had, to, I had to find a new way to be that, that didn't um, fuel off that perfectionism and that shame. And at the end of the day, the new way is so much better, where it's just so much more compassion for myself and for others and not worrying about what other people think or or, or, valu- or living my life according to other people's values or standards of Success, and it it really took you know I don't think for me that that was the pathway to get there like mm-hmm. I wish I could have figured it out on my own without <laughs> but I wouldn't you know at the time it was I would have given anything to just get a free pass and yeah. skip that experience because I thought, oh this is terrible this is this is a mistake, this is not what's supposed to be happening, and now I just feel like it was this um totally meant to be wonderful learning experience that um, that kind of made me who I am today. And I'm definitely still much happier because of it.
0: So I'm thinking about your recovery that you were talking about uh, five years of hard work. I think there's a lot of you being very proactive about learning what this looks like for you. Learning how to deal with it and then being proactive about it. So you've talked about your family stepping into helping you, those around you to help your recovery. Learning how to nourish yourself more physically, um, sleep included, and um, right. So, but I also heard you talking about knowing your boundaries and what those look like for you. And then honoring those boundaries. So really making sure you're setting yourself up for success instead of failure, which also means letting go of some things that might have been important to you in the past, including maybe the way your house looks, something like that, or the way success looks like for others. You had to let go of that. And maybe even what you had in your mind as what was successful for you. Part of your recovery was learning how to let go of maybe that wrong idea for you. And I think right. you're doing a terrific job of honoring that. And I really love what you said about the new way is so much better. Um, I, I don't know. That chill. just kind of gives me some chills, you know, living to you said living to your own standards of success it's so much better. Right. That's what I hope people get out of right. this. Right. So, what would you say to another woman? Um, maybe she's a mom, or maybe she's not a mom, but someone who is in the middle of a really low low, similar to what you experienced.
1: Um. So, I definitely feel like some of the best life advice comes from flight attendants on the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And it's that the idea of putting on your own oxygen mask before helping others. And I think that's especially for mothers or any kind of caregivers, that's important information because we idealize mothers for being so selfless and just exhaustive and self-sacrificing of everything. And we kind of hold that up as like, how to be, and I wanted to be like that, but I learned the hard way that I, if I didn't take care of myself, I literally could not help mm-hmm. anyone, you know, even if I wanted to. So that's what I would say to another woman to always take care of yourself and don't feel guilty about it because, you know, being selfless is a great goal, but we're mortal. You know, we were not designed as superhumans, we were designed with limitations so that we'd have to learn how to balance and taking care of yourself really is the least selfish thing you can do because it's what gives us the strength to be able to take care of other people as -hmm. well.
0: I love that. So I want to hear more about how that period of your life shifted your perspective and what its effect is on your current life. You already spoke about the intense, recovery you had to go through and and how proactive you had to be about it but how are you different what do you do differently now and how are you still able to work on improving yourself in your life without letting that unhealthy perfectionism and those anxious ways get in the way of your overall wellness
1: um so i think probably the first way and different is i'm a lot more empathetic and Um, I'd say unafraid of kind of stepping into um, other people's like, I think before, if someone else was going through a hard time, I kind of ran the other direction, not because I just didn't know how to deal and like Mm -hmm. how to help people. And now that I've kind of been there and I've been on the other side of being in a really dark place and noticing how some people, kind of went the other way and some people just reached out, even though they didn't know what was going on or what to say. I really um, appreciated those people who did um, reach out. And so I think in that way, I'm different. I'm not afraid to um, reach out to people who are going through hard things. So in that way, I think it was good. But um, as for um, how I'm different with perfectionism, I think that it was so great because in some ways, it was just this sort of glorious failure, you know, where yeah. um, it was... A glorious failure. Was, I like
0: how you ordered that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because, um, but once you've gone there and you've come back from it, suddenly failing or, you know, making mistakes, like, doesn't seem so scary anymore. Because hmm. um, I, I think it was in... Maybe it was just like a BYU article. I can't remember what. some Somewhere I read that when someone's teaching, learning how to ice skate, the very first thing that they should be taught is how to fall, oh. right? Like, just, just have them fall for the first whatever of the list, you know, beginning of the lesson. just fall after fall after fall. Because eventually they get over it, and they learn how to get up again. And mm. suddenly like the rest of it is easy because the part of ice skating that's hard is trying to balance in a way that you're not worried about falling. And I think that's a lot of life and perfectionism is trying to go through life in such a way that you never fall and you don't, you know, you don't reach too high or you don't ask someone for, for something. And, um, and if you realize that you kind of tend to that direction to challenge it and realize that, It doesn't have to be that way. It's it's like anything else where you can um, practice and your way out of it, I guess.
0: Yeah. So you still are someone who constantly improves. So what habits do you have that enable you to improve but still maintain that balance that you have hard earned?
1: Um, So I think just the little... You know, like the setting goals, and I have um, projects that I set up. I have my my little system. I use Evernote. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So I use Evernote and my email to kind of set up my life in terms of so that it is productive because I do like to um, do things. But most of my life is just is taking care of my kids, and the productivity is kind of just snuck in here and there, which Mm -hmm. is why it's helpful to be organized because if I just sit there and think about what I wanted to work on, probably I wouldn't get anything done ever because it really just has to be done in minutes here and there. Um, So I do try to stay organized and sneak stuff in, um, but then always have that balance. I'm really careful to not burn out and, just not to feel bad about it. Like if I'm feeling, if I don't feel like doing something, then I don't, like, I take that as, you know, my signal that I may just need an evening to veg out and, you know, watch something on Netflix and paint or, you know, do something that's more fulfilling. Um, and, uh, like I said, because I and I do also have like a little tracker. I always the three things that I found I have to do is I have to study, um, do like spiritual study or gospel study every day. So I have a little app called Productive that tracks that just to help remind me, you know, oh. to get that. And plus, it makes this cute little sound when you get to check it off for the day. And um, so I do that every day. I make sure I get a hard workout three times a week, which is. Some people are amazing and work out every day. That is just not um, my. That's just not where I am right now. But that's okay. (laughs) That's (laughs) part of your balance. That's your health balance. Right. Three times a week, and then this is random. But I found that, uh, especially because I live in kind of a big metropolitan area, and how that can kind of negatively affect me. I get out into nature at least once a week, like Mm. in one of these open parks, like. My standard is I don't want to see, like, a car or a house, like, just, you know, nature. Um, So those are the things that kind of, like, the self-care things that I'm really... And so I do a weekly planning meeting every week where I go through and schedule my week. And I'll schedule in, you know, those exercise sessions or a hike or whatever it is. And that's, like, an official appointment. And if someone wants to book something for that time, I'll be like, sorry, I actually have an appointment then. Can we do this time instead and I put that as something you know that's important because it is and it's really easy to give up those things and think they're not important but because I from experience know that it's important to take care of myself like I don't feel bad about making that a priority
0: and the last question I have that I've, I've sort of turned this into um the question I ask every guest it wasn't on purpose, but I'm like, you know what? I like this question. So I'm, I think this is going to be our official final question for everybody. What have you learned about yourself the last 10 years that you can sum up? What is your, your lesson of the last 10 years?
1: Um, I think I have learned that I am stronger and, um, more resilient than I realized and that, um, that I have um, a lot to offer people. I realized that um, I don't have the same gifts as other people, and that is more than okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I think I've learned not to compare myself to others, but just to focus on the things that I have to help people and realize that my joy comes from helping others and serving others, including my family. Um, And, and that I'm definitely a lot happier when I let a lot of that other stuff go Mm -hmm. in favor of spending more time with the people I love and doing the things that I love and just not worrying about anything else.
0: Oh, I love that, Lisa. I, I'm so looking forward to people listening to this interview and seeing themselves themselves in, in you and what you spoke about. And I hope they can take from it what you learned and be more proactive about balancing their lives in ways that look right for them and changing how they view themselves and what is successful for them and among the many other things that we learned from you here. And I'm just so grateful you do this. Thank you so much.
1: You are so welcome, Monica. Thank you.
0: Thank you again, Lisa, for taking the time to do this interview, especially at 41 Weeks Pregnant. I can't believe you would sign up for that. Three days after speaking with me, Lisa gave birth to her healthy baby boy who is now a month old. She, the baby, and the rest of the family are doing great. Next week, I will be taking a break from airing an interview, but I will still be doing a mini episode with me, myself, and I. So stay tuned for that. And before I let you go, I wanted to reach out and remind you that this podcast is a place for you to be encouraged, motivated, and connected. It's not a place to make you feel like garbage. I have loved having a variety of people to interview so far. They have been all kinds of successful and all kinds of balanced. Being balanced and making progress in your life will look different for each one of you. So keep that in mind. That being said, I am on the search to interview more people. We are missing one gender in particular, so men, I'm looking for you too. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you for a mini-episode next Wednesday. Take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death